Hey, welcome to Chaos in the Attic. I'm your host, Noor. I'm here to share all things that go on in my head, from thoughts to my opinions on things that I feel should be talked about and things that are just not addressed at all. I know we all have thoughts that we feel are not discussed, and I'm here to hopefully express some of those thoughts that you're having. Thanks for tuning in, and now let's get chaotic. Hello and welcome to Chaos in the Attic or welcome back to Chaos in the Attic. I hope this episode finds you happy, healthy, well surrounded by all the love, wonders and magic that life has to offer. I am interrupting my Your Soul mini-series with a very special guest, Rachel Fernley. This episode is just full of so much information and knowledge on all things nervous system and I think we could all use all the information in this episode right now regardless of whatever you might be going through i feel like we all as humans are constantly stuck in the hustle and bustle of life or we're on the go 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 or we're just experiencing restlessness and in a world where rest is kind of neglected this episode is definitely going to preach rest more than anything and I can definitely attest to someone who really does enjoy being on the go-go all the time, but it comes to a certain point where it just leads to burnout. So this episode, we're talking all things nervous system support, how you can just avoid burnout and why it's so important to support your nervous system. Rachel Fernley is a nervous system coach who shares so much knowledge on the importance of caring for our nervous system and how it influences other areas of our life. She also runs a teacher training program on yin, meditation, and breathwork with her business partner. She's also a loving single mama of her four-year-old girl where she lives a beautiful life in Bali. And she is just radiates joy and calmness and ease like it was just it felt really good connecting with her and i just enjoyed this conversation so so much in this episode we touch on supporting our nervous system how babies respond to our nervous system and we talk a little bit on raising an emotionally intelligent child and the importance of healthy communication skills this episode like i said is full of so much goodness and i just know that you will take something away from it and if so tag me or rachel all of our information is always linked in the show notes tag us in a story say what you enjoyed from this episode and what you took away from this episode and if you want to review this podcast leave a rating leave a review subscribe to it that would also be great But without further ado, because let's just get into all the goodness of Rachel. So let's get into it. So you're currently in Bali, right? I am. And how is that? How's life in Bali? Yes. It's it's lovely i've been here eight or nine years i i actually have lost count now um somewhere around the eight nine year mark so it's 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 home you know i 
pre-COVID, I had a retreat business here. So I had, you know, like a bricks and mortar business. I've got my dogs. I've got my kid here. Um, and it's, it is as nice for me anyway, as people think, you know, I get to walk on the beach every morning. I get, you know, the most phenomenal, um, teachers, practitioners, therapies that are just so available and affordable. Um, an amazing community of like-minded people. Um, yeah, and just a beautiful, you know, just absolutely beautiful place. I'm curious, how was it during the pandemic? Because I know that they closed it off and I was just really curious because I know that they do rely a lot on tourism and yeah, how was that for the, like yeah it was it was tough look it was it was a double-edged sword in many ways you know which i think the pandemic was just it was so polarizing there were some good things that came out of it and there were obviously some really devastating things that came out of it and we we saw that here of course like the this island runs on tourism like that's their primary industry here and and i was in tourism until the pandemic i'm not sure if if we're going to reopen or not yet um but yeah, like overnight, as you know, you know, so many people experienced it, everything just shut down. So it was very devastating, particularly for the locals, you know, especially if they perhaps don't have the skill set to put themselves online or the resources or the kind of, you know, the understanding. Whereas, you know, quite a few expats or non non-Indonesians were able to pivot perhaps a little bit more um, smoothly. So for example, me and my business partner, we, we pivoted from a retreat um, and then basically ended up focusing more on our kind of teachings because we're both yoga teacher trainers. So we created a breath coach training online. We created, we put our yin yoga teacher training online. We put our meditation teacher training or we created a meditation teacher training. But obviously we were kind of fortunate because we had the skill set we had the resources to do that. So it, it got very quiet here, <laughs> like crazy, crazy quiet, which again was was a double-edged sword, right? There was a real beauty to that. Like the roads were quiet. It took like five minutes to get places that before it would take like 45 minutes, 50 minutes. Um, so yeah, and now it's opening up and I'm, you know, as much as it's getting busier and that's a bit confronting when we've had such a quiet place for two years i'm also i'm more more than anything i'm just so deeply grateful you know particularly for the locals who have just been living off of fresh air honestly some of them for two years yeah i'm sure i mean yeah like you said there were some good and some bad that came out of it but i mean i feel like as long as you're looking at it from all angles you'll always find that appreciation in all of it you know just the whole yeah, journey exactly exactly well on that note, how is your attic, your headspace in this season of your life with everything that just happened, the pandemic and just this new year? How's my, like, where am I at in terms of my headspace? Yeah. Um, pretty good, actually. It's, it has been a tough couple of years um, because there's just been so much change, right? And we were right, sort of relating it to the nervous system, you know, which is what we're, you know, what the kind of primary topic of this is, is that, you know, we've all gone through collective trauma 
this year and trauma is by nature very destabilizing so when we then have just this constant changing and this constant sense of unknowing like you know is my business you know what's going to happen is is for example Bali going to open is it going to open in six months in a year in two years you know it's we're constantly stuck in that state of limbo which can be really challenging so i feel that at least for myself now we're coming out of at least an element of that unknown i mean life is an unknown thing anyway um but i'm personally feeling a lot more grounded um like i've spent the last two years really just redefining my business recreating business like start like almost starting from scratch to some degree um and i feel now after a couple of years that the little seeds that i've been planting are starting to grow so i can feel my whole nervous system starting to kind of calm down and to center and to balance and to regulate a bit more because it's like okay i feel like my ducks are more in a row <laughs> than they than they were <laughs> like two years ago I will definitely say I feel like a lot of people are coming into that especially right now in 2022 like a lot of people are just starting to like ease back into whatever life is right now and they're finding that joy and that excitement in like all that they're doing which is you know it's a great it's a great place to be I guess right now (laughs) yeah yes and you know and we just don't we don't know what the future is going to hold right you know there is still so much flux and change and uncertainty in the world right now So, you know, I feel that right now is a really important time to not be, not just be kind of like taking things for granted, like, oh, thank God we're we're through that, I can just carry on as normal. Like, we still need to be really aware that it's like, you know, there are some big things still happening. So it's like, okay, cool. Like, I feel like we've had a bit of a reprieve, or we're having a bit of a reprieve right now. You know, the future is still a little bit unclear. but it's a good opportunity for us to kind of take a breather and to, again, just look at like those seeds that we've been planting, whether it's in our business, whether it's in our kind of mental health, emotional health, relational health, whatever it is, um, and just check that everything's like, okay, is this where I want things to be? You know, do I need to like continue um, adding in some way or supporting in some way or making some shifts or changes? Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um... Well, I do obviously want to get into the nervous system, but before we get like into the deep deepness of nervous system, because I'm just so excited to learn all about all the ways we can support it. (laughs) I want to know how you got into the work. Like, what is your backstory? What made you really dive deep into just supporting your nervous system? And how did how did that become a means of healing for you in your own life? Mm, Yes, such a good question. Um. Okay, so I've been in the wellness industry, personal development industry for about a decade now. So it started with me doing a teacher training, a yoga teacher training, which is, you know, a fairly typical inroad into this industry. Um, But before that, I was a professional sailor and racer. So I I raced and sailed on, on yachts for the best part of a decade. So pretty much the whole of my 20s, I spent sailing and racing. And then, I mean, unbeknown to me, I didn't have this language or this knowledge at that time, but my nervous system was shot. 
by the end of it. Um, yeah. It's an amazing industry. You know, there's it, it's it, at least pre pre pandemic, it was a very booming industry. A lot of people were getting into it. Um, but you're working ridiculously hard. It was my version of corporate. Like I've never done anything traditional. Mom. pretty much ever yeah. <laughs> um you know I've never done the corporate thing I went to art school like I left school at 16 and you know just did everything against the grain um and but I I relate my sailing years as my as my kind of corporate because just in the sense that it was very intense it was very very long hours and there was a lot of pressure so although I wasn't stuck in an office at a desk, like I was still working like 18 to 20 hour days. And I'm sure there's and a schedule to that as well, like some sort of routine that you have to go by. So in that sense, it is like a corporate job. Yeah. 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 And, and you know, and you're really, you're really in it. You know, it's, it, it, it really like, because you're living on, I was living on the boats, right? Like you live on the boats, you work on the boats, you're sailing, you're racing. You know, I had no privacy. I was, you know, drastically outnumbered by men um and it was very you know highly competitive quite aggressive very sexist um all the things but it was hugely fun right it was very adventurous it was quite extreme it was immensely fun um it was very alternative and different but by the end of that right you know spending the best part of 10 years for a lot of the time working like a minimum of 18 hour days and getting very little sleep and being on your feet all day and being in quite extreme situations is going to have an impact on your health, right? Whether that is because you're sailing and racing or whether it's because you're, you know, in some really intense corporate job where you're taking your work home with you and you're up all night. Like to, to me, honestly, it's kind of same, same. Um, so I got to the end of like my decade doing that and I had picked up also a fair few bad habits I won't sort of go into the details of them but you know <laughs> I, they were they weren't great for my physical or mental health either and my sister I had an injury and my sister actually one time took me to yoga she took me to a yoga class she'd been doing yoga for a little while and she pretty much had to take me kicking and screaming like I I, I think I had tried yoga one time before that and I was adamant it wasn't for me I was like no I've tried it don't dig it uh, way too slow, way too weird, way too hippie, way too like everything. Um, but she convinced me to go and I went and, and it was like a kind of a love hate thing. I could, I could actually see the benefit. The teacher was insanely good. Um, but at the same time, and again, I didn't have this awareness back then, but the slowing down that was needed because I did, I started with this style called Iyengar, which is a very slow alignment based practice. Um, none of this like power yoga, ashtanga, like moving and, you know, kind of jacking up our nervous system to a degree. Um, but I found it deeply uncomfortable. And now I have the awareness to, to understand why I found it so uncomfortable because I've spent so much time just being constantly on, just constantly doing very busy, very yang, kind of very in this like very heightened energy. Um, so I started down this yoga path and I just started seeing these little changes going on in my life. You know, it's just subtle things like, oh, you know, I feel like my, my, my physical health's coming back because I ruptured some discs in my spine. Um, you know, I felt I was feeling more balanced in my mind, feeling more grounded. And eventually I, I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna jump into this and I think I'm actually gonna do a teacher training. This was maybe a couple of years later. So finally, 
I got to the end of my career on boats. I decided that I'd had enough. I'd done, you know, I'd done my time, like nine, 10 years it was, um, and set off to do my first teacher training. Um, I think I just turned 30 and I had no plans. I didn't have a direction. I didn't have anything. I was like, I'm just going to go and do this training and see what happens. Um, and I'm someone that's very trusting. Like I very much trust that like things will work out. So I didn't feel that I needed to have a particular plan. Um, so I did my first training and I started teaching straight away. I started traveling basically around the world, like Central America, Asia, so sort of like Thailand, Sri Lanka, India, um, teaching and learning and studying more. Um, and I think I did that for a couple of years, kind of traveling and teaching and, and studying. And I got quite into, which is not overly surprising, quite into the really intense styles of yoga <laughs> because like attracts like, right? So I'd come out of this really intense industry. And, you know, although I'd started with Iyengar, I mean, I was like, oh, that's a bit slow for me. Um, so I went smack into sort of Ashtanga and power yoga and really just intense, intense practices which now I realize that we do have this tendency because there is this kind of law of nature that sort of like attracts like, is like when we are in an intense period of our life, we will have a propensity to be attracted to intense practices, which is why, for example, in big cities, it is starting to shift a little bit now, but in big cities, you tend to find a lot more power yoga, hot yoga, ashtanga than you will yin yoga or meditation because people are just like i need i need i'm intense i need intense practices i need to continue this intensity outside of work and outside right? I, um, yeah i resonate a, with that a lot and i can definitely see that in this in la <laughs> yes yes yeah and and it can be really hard to to, to flip right because let's say you're working in corporate and you you work really long hours and you've got this really intense job and you've got like a bunch of things that you're juggling you know, you leave work perhaps in this flurry of intensity and it's very hard for you then to slow down very quickly to say, go into a yin class. Like your nervous system is literally too ramped up and it will feel very unsafe. Right? And, and that may, may not be what you can articulate at the time, but there'll just be this like this um, repulsion. He's almost like, hey, do you want to come and do a nice meditation class? I'll be like, hey, no thanks. Um, I'd rather go and do my hot power intense vinyasa flow, um, you know, at like 40 degree heat. Mm -hmm. um, I speak in Celsius. I'm not sure what that is in Fahrenheit. I'm, it's hot. yeah. <laughs> anyway, in, a, in a hot room. Um, so, yeah, so I found myself in this kind of intense cycle, not surprisingly. And then I actually did an Ashtanga training and something happened in that training and it wasn't a single event, but I never took another Ashtanga class or taught after that. I think I threw myself like out of the fire and into this like just even hotter, intense heat, if possible. And I think my whole system just said, that's enough. Like that is enough intensity. Like if you continue, just it's just not going to work. So I think by this point I was living in Bali and I... I just naturally found yin. It just happened. Yin yoga just appeared. And I started exploring it and I started to slow down and I started to really understand because I was so fascinated by it, right? Is wow, I get to sort of sit in this yoga class in different poses 
and 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 just be still right and, and stillness was quite an abstract concept for me back then but there was something that I felt I was really finding very restorative about it so I just started exploring that and then I did my own yin training and got more into meditation got really into breath work as well um, at that point not so much the dynamic practices but literally like understanding breath how we breathe why we breathe dysfunction all of these things and I started to see this theme I was like oh okay like I've got I, I've sort of I'm a yin teacher I'm really interested in yin in the five element theory in this concept of like slowing down and, and mindfulness and breath and meditation and I just saw this thread I was like, wow, these are, these are the subtle practices, right? These are the practices that really help us to slow down, that really help us to really observe what's going on in our body, right? Because when we're moving in these fast-paced, hot classes where it's a breath movement, breath movement, breath movement, where it's very hard to actually pay attention to what's going on in the body, right? We override a lot of what's going on in the body, which is why there's so many injuries that come out of those classes. Like how many shoulder injuries have we seen? <laughs> out of like (laughs) intense power yoga um heated power yoga it has its place for sure you know i'm not completely dissing it but it's definitely um a practice that does attract people that typically need to go to yin yoga shall i say yeah um so i i i started to gain quite an understanding of the nervous system quite quite a number of years back um, and would teach about it through my classes, like through the portal of my classes. Um, so I, you know, would be teaching and I'd reference the nervous system and explain a bit about what it was and, you know, how these practices can help us to regulate our nervous system and, you know, how we get dysregulated and why we get dysregulated and so on. And then sort of during the pandemic, I mean, I went through my own sort of adrenal fatigue during the pandemic of, you know, just that kind of stress and overwhelm of, um, a business closing, trying to start a new business, I'm a solo parent, like all the things, right? And it really brought me home even more to like the nervous system and the importance of it and how, again, like when we're not paying attention to ourselves, to our bodies, to our nervous system, how it can spiral so quickly, right? Which is what happened with me. So that was really the the turning point for me, both professionally and uh, personally, where I realized that in part because we've all gone through this collective trauma there's so much more of an importance now for us to understand our nervous system because there's not anybody that is not included in this conversation or shouldn't be included in this conversation there's nobody that this isn't relevant for right because whether you've come out of the pandemic relatively well there's still this collective trauma where we've all gone through this big thing and there will be a sense of dysregulation. Yeah, I was actually thinking about that a lot today. I was thinking that everyone during the pandemic has definitely gone through some sort of trauma, whether it was the pandemic induced or if it was something that happened to them during the pandemic, losing a job, losing family members. Like there's something that everyone has gone through and it's just a little strange to me how people kind of like brushed past past it but regardless I think that everyone will eventually like whether they have recognized it now or will recognize it in the future that they it all comes down to like regulating your nervous system regulating your own like your own emotions and making sure that you're checking in with yourself because at the end of the day your body 
is everything and your body will tell you when it's getting dragged down into the chaos of it all so yeah yeah yes absolutely well on the topic of the nervous system we're saying nervous system but i feel like some people might not even know what the nervous system is or why the nervous system is important Yes, yes, totally. And I, I do sometimes forget that because it's such a common word for me and, and within my, my circle of, of friends and um, associates. So yes, we'll talk a little bit about what, what it actually is. So put, put simply, without um, dumbing it down, we have lots of different systems in the body, right? And, and each system has a particular purpose. Right. So, for example, we have the digestive system, right, which obviously helps us to digest our food. We have the endocrine system, which is essentially our hormonal system. So it helps to like balance and regulate hormones. Um, and then we have like our respiratory system, which is all about breathing. And we also and there's, there's a bunch more, but I won't go into all of them. And then we have our nervous system. And our nervous system is essentially like the it's like the messenger system of the body and its primary purpose is to keep us safe and also to connect, keep us connected. Okay. So, so primary primary is, is safety. It's really looking out for us so that we don't get like eaten by tigers. Not that that's really a reality, you know, right now, but it used to be our reality. Right? Um, but then it also it also helps us to connect to other human beings because ultimately when we, when our nervous system is in a really good place when it's very regulated we are more equipped to cultivate deeper connections than when we are dysregulated okay so um our nervous system there's this there's this thing called neuroception which happens with within ourselves right and and this neuroceptive ability is out below our conscious awareness right this isn't something that we, we consciously do or that we're consciously aware of it is constantly looking and scanning our environment both our external environment and our internal environment for cues of safety or danger it's happening every millisecond every time every time like constantly 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 right and basically when we perceive like when our system perceives and as i mentioned this is outside of our conscious control perceives that there are more cues of danger than there are of safety we move into what is quite is colloquially known as the fight or flight state typically that's the, that's the one that we typically head into first right there's a few different states of our nervous system when the nervous system senses then there's more cues of safety than there is of danger then we are better equipped to be in what what colloquially is called rest digest repair reproduce connect okay we also call that ventral vagal so is this constant thing going on of like, is there more cues of safety? Is there more cues of danger? Is there more cues of safety? Is there more cues of danger? And how it judges that, right? It's not the same for everybody. So, you know, nor say if like you and I were, you know, walking along a street somewhere and you sensed something and you suddenly sort of jumped and like, oh my God, you know, cause maybe you heard a noise that reminded you of something that had happened in your past. Okay, but I don't have that same memory, right? I don't have that same imprint, right? And I'm like, what? What? I mean, it was just a bit of a bit of a bang. Like, 
you know what what's go, what's going on right so you can see it's not uh, there, there's no like one, one truth when it comes to collectively our nervous system so we all have this essentially like a little database inside of us that is a collection of all of our past experiences the good the bad and the ugly okay and that informs our neuroceptive ability right which is why you know as I said, like you might hear a particular noise or you might smell a particular smell and it sends you into this <gasps> kind of state where you start to become more like what we call activated. So this fight or flight state, which we could also call the sympathetic state, it's what we call also activation or mobilization. So you kind of feel it in your body, right? You can feel that, you know, if you, if you think about a time recently, nothing too traumatic, but where you... <sighs> You, you felt a bit kind of like tense, agitated, frustrated, anxious, like maybe it's an email that you received from like a client, or boss, or someone that was just a bit triggering, right? And you feel that energy in your body. It's a very like upward moving energy, right? And this is that fight or flight. And it's, so it's our nervous system that determines this. It just made me think, I was just like, I wonder how babies are born, like with like a perfect nervous system of some sort. But I guess there is some trauma when you're born. But at the same time, just like they're probably very calm, which is ironic because babies tend to cry a lot. Yeah, I mean, that's I mean, that's a, a whole interesting conversation. And just to just to touch on it, because I feel yeah. like we go too deep into that, we'll, we'll go down a massive rabbit hole. But Typically, of course, it really depends, right? Depends what happens to the baby in utero, or it depends what obviously happens to the mother in utero. But let's say you have the mother has a really good pregnancy. There's no big trauma. She has, a, you know, a, a good birth. I mean, births are by nature quite intense, right? Mm. But let's say there's nothing like abnormal that happens, or nothing extreme, or you know, no kind of intervention that needs to happen. Then, you know, the baby's nervous system is informed by the mother's nervous system. So if the mother is calm and grounded, the baby will have a better chance of having a more balanced nervous system. But on, you know, because we are so influenced up until about the age of seven by our environment, our caregivers and all the things, right? This also includes our nervous system. It's not to say that our nervous system can't, um, you know, be affected after the age of seven or be supported after the age of seven, but that really is such an impactful time. But babies also don't have the ability to what's called co, um, sorry, to self-regulate, right? So there's, I mean, I, I have a four-year-old, so this is like quite, it's been quite a big kind of conversation for me around children, right? Is that we have these two different ways of regulating. One is self-regulation, which means I'm using my own internal resources to regulate myself. So if I'm feeling anxious or depressed or, you know, anything in between, I can call on the resources that I have within myself to help myself come back to a state of balance, right? And we also have co-regulation, which is when we use somebody or something else, like, you know, a friend, a family member, or a pet, to co-regulate, right? And this can be really important, right? We do need co-regulation as well as self-regulation. Babies can't self-regulate. They do not have the capacity to self-regulate, which is why letting a baby cry it out is not a good idea because they they there's this whole thing like oh let them cry out and let them learn how to regulate themselves they don't because they don't have that capacity for quite a number of years so when you let a baby cry out 
and they stop crying, they're not actually self-regulating. They have realized that there is no point them continuing to cry. So they go into what is called dorsal vagal, which is shut down. So you're actually shutting your child down emotionally rather than actually helping them to self-regulate. And they learn to self-regulate by co-regulating. Yeah. I mean, I think that's actually very, very, very useful. Um, I mean, like, yes, it was like a little, went a little off the the conversation like the conversation but I think no I think that is important to know and I actually heard something recently about like when a child is crying or when they are nagging like you need to be calm with them because they're that's what they mimic off of which is again all part of the nervous system but in terms of um um the the nervous system like what are things that we're doing right now that is causing our our like disruptions in our nervous system every day that habits whether it's habits or like external things just in general things that we're exposed yeah. to it's a lot it's a lot i'm just going to be honest so to to take it back a step into some like to, to sort of evolutionary conversation so our nervous system has been kind of has evolved as I said, through this desire and need to keep us safe, right? It, otherwise, we wouldn't still be existing as a, as a species, right? If we didn't have a nervous system that was able to look out for um, like dangers and things. Way back when, when we used to live in caves and we were, you know, in, in tribes and there was a lot of tribal warfare and there was a lot of, say, like tigers that could come and eat us, right? Our nervous system was so vital, right? Because the threat on life was very real, okay? And after there obviously is still threat on life now. It's not to say that nobody experiences that. But generally speaking, I mean, especially if you're listening to this podcast, you know, you're kind of able to like digest information like this. The chances are that you have very few immediate threats on your life happening. Okay. But this whole system is created in order to prevent us from dying, basically. So way back when, when we were living in caves, if there were say a tribe that was coming to kill our tribe or if there was a tiger coming to come and like maul us right this nervous system this part of our nervous system particularly the sympathetic part of our nervous system which is the fight or flight would kick in we'd get more activated such that we have the energy the focus to put into either say fighting the tribe let's say or running away from the tiger and then what would happen is once that threat has passed, our nervous system would then calm down, we would regulate, and we'd go back into what we call our ventral vagal, which is our rest, digest, repair, reproduce part of our nervous system. So fast forward to now, and what's happening is there aren't so many threats, immediate threats on our life on a daily basis, but our nervous system doesn't have the capacity to understand the difference between, say, a tiger chasing us and a really rubbish email from our boss. Okay, it doesn't have the different, it doesn't have the ability to define the difference between, say, a, a tribe or somebody coming to kill us and an argument with your partner or worries about finances. 
So it doesn't have this perceptive ability. So whenever we get triggered, right, and there's a lot of conversation about triggers, our nervous system reacts in the same way as whether it was like chasing by a tiger, you know, being chased by somebody wielding a spear or an axe or having financial issues or having relationship issues or having issues at work, okay? And there's a bunch of things that goes on in our body when we go into, I mean, and I'm right now I'm just talking about this one state of our nervous system. There's actually six states of our nervous system, okay? But I'm just talking right now in this fight or flight, this kind of mobilizing, anxious, like, oh my God, slightly perhaps like defensive, argumentative, like kind of aggressive posturing, like that kind of side, right? Because I think that's the one that most people relate to the strongest, okay? So the same thing happens in the body. Right. And there's a whole bunch of things that happen, you know, like we there's a there's a sort of release in like our hormones. We get a lot of adrenaline and, and potentially cortisol, which are both stress hormones. Um, we might experience and, and everybody's a little bit different. Right. But I'll explain some of the, the, the classic sort of symptoms, but we might experience kind of tunnel vision. Right. Have you ever had that experience where you've received like a, a rubbish email from someone or you've been in like a conflict with your partner and you kind of it's almost it's this kind of almost physical thing, right? Where everything just turns into this little tunnel and yeah. we lose this ability to sense everything else that's going on around us, right? You might find that you get a bit constipated or you get this kind of like churning in your stomach. You might find that your jaw tightens, your shoulders tighten. Like there can be so many things that happen, right? And these are all reactions everybody experiences it a little bit differently but these are all reactions that happen in our body as a result of being in say this fight or flight this sympathetic state so it responds to triggers right it, it responds to what we perceive as a threat okay even if that threat isn't actually going to kill us it's still a threat so then now look at how the average person lives and there's a lot of stress every day right? Let's say you work in an intense environment. Let's say you work in, I don't know, like PR or in, in finances and banking where there's like high pressure, even sailing, right? Like high pressure, high intensity, constantly like people kind of coming at you, constantly problem solving, fighting fires, right? There's a lot of energy that's in that and it's this mobilizing energy, okay? And, you know, and then let's say you've maybe got financial issues or, you know, you've got young children, which, you know, as much as we love our young children, like it's pretty hard, right? You know, you might be sleep deprived. You might have the baby screaming in your ear. <laughs> um, maybe you've got relationship issues. Maybe there's financial issues. Right? So there's just all this, this stress, which is, is real, but it's also there's also a, a perception behind it as well, because our system is actually perceiving that this stress is potentially threatening our lives, right? So our body is responding in the same way. When we were living in caves, although the threat was more real, it happened less frequently, right? It wasn't this constant necessarily attack on us, right? There might be periods of, of days, weeks, months where everything was just fine. You know, we were just chilling out with our with our pack and you know harvesting food or foraging whatever and then there'd be these maybe intense moments right whereas now there's so much because there's so much pressure we put so much pressure on ourselves right 
And so what is happening in our body is that rather than kind of having this one perhaps single event of like, oh my gosh, this is really stressful. And then coming back down, it's like, whoa, this is stressful. Oh, this is stressful. Oh, this is stressful. Oh my God, relationship, finances, uh, work, children, da 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 So the hormones that are released in our body are, are constantly on, right? This is, this is what happens in adrenal fatigue, right? Adrenaline, I think in the States you call it epiphany. Is it got a different name in the States? I have epiphany, no idea. Absolutely If you're not sure what adrenaline is, just Google adrenaline America and yeah. you'll, get, you'll understand what the word <laughs> I is. I studied anyway. in it's a British a- system, so I'm Celsius, all I'm like out of like the American metric system and terminology. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You understand what I'm talking about. Then. I, feel, I feel like you'll, everyone will know what adrenaline is. Yeah. Anyway, so. anyway, it's a stress hormone. It's produced primarily in our adrenal glands, which sit above our kidneys. Okay. And our adrenal glands can only produce so much adrenaline at any, at, in any say 24 hour period. Like it's not an ongoing supply, <laughs> but we are for many of us living in a state a way where we are constantly demanding that our, for example, this is an example, right? Our adrenal glands are constantly pumping out adrenaline because it's, oh my gosh, oh, that rubbish email from my boss. Oh my gosh, this argument with my partner. Oh my gosh, I'm worried about finances. Oh my gosh, like I've been awake all night with my baby. Oh my gosh, my kids are sick. <laughs> right, and so it's adrenaline, 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 adrenaline. Okay, and, and eventually, and this is exactly what adrenal fatigue is, the adrenal glands go enough. We can't keep, we just, we can't, we can't keep producing adrenaline for you. So we're just going to stop, basically. And then we go into fatigue because then we have no ability to, like, pick ourselves up. Yeah. So, you know, so much of so much of stress really is perception, um, not to, you know, not to um, sort of downgrade people's experiences, but a lot of what we experience, you know, never actually happens. Obviously, some of it does, but it's how we relate to stress. Yeah, I was saying it's just so crazy because we're constantly bombarded by whether like the stress from like noise, like an airplane passing by, drills outside um, and your phone ringing just like all these constant little triggers of anxiety or of like little mini traumas that happen throughout the day that just builds up and builds up and builds up and I find like personally for myself that on days when like the most like I hear like the worst news but like the day as a whole was very calm and more at ease I'm so much more able to approach that like with an with an easy heart and just not feel so tense about it but when I'm constantly if I'm getting phone calls on the day and like 10,000 other things are going on it just feels so much more intense but I mean with all of that how can we start to implement better habits with our nervous system to start to improve that nervous system and support it in just like daily daily things little things that will just help and whether it's like momentarily or on the long term yeah, it's such a good question. And just to talk to that point that you made, there's this beautiful quote that comes from the Bhagavad Gita, uh, which is one of the greatest, you know, the great Indian texts. It says, we never, we never really experience the world. All we experience is our own nervous system, right? Which really goes to what you've talked about, right? So we can look at the nervous system and all the different states 
um, and I'll, I'll just very briefly explain the states because otherwise people are like, what are the other states? <laughs> like you told us there's more, but like, what are they? Right, if you can think about them as like of different colored glasses, right? So when you're in like the, the balanced state, so there's three kind of balanced states and there's three self-protective states of the nervous system. Some of them are pure, states and some of them are what we call blended states okay so when we're in our um balanced states right we're, we're wearing like clearer glasses like rosier glasses which is why as you say like or well, when i'm feeling calm and, and balanced and grounded when xyz happens you know let's say you get that rubbish I, I always use this example but that like that rubbish email from someone or that triggering conversation you're better equipped to be like okay all right, I, I, I can see their perspective. I can understand why they're, why they're frustrated. You know, I'll, I'll approach this with empathy and, you know, respect and all things. But when you're in one of self-protective states, you're wearing a, a set of different colored glasses. So you see things in a very, very, very different light, completely different light. And we also say that your state informs your story. So whatever state you're in informs the stories that are going on in your head, right? And they keep, your stories keep you stuck in that state, right? So our three balanced states, the, the, the main one, which is kind of like a pure state is called ventral vagal. And that's what we typically call the rest, digest, repair, reproduce, connect, right? And then we have the state of play, right? So you think, as a, you know, think about just when you're just calm and balanced, you're not like overly active, you're not like, completely just like zoned out on the couch right but play is a more active state right but we're still balanced like think about when you're playing with your young kids or you know you're playing at the beach with mates right is that you're you're still in what we call ventral vagal but you've got a little splash of this sympathetic this activating state right so then we also have the other balanced state is called stillness and that is again ventral vagal this calm balanced state with a little tiny splash of what we call dorsal vagal, which is the shutdown state. Okay, so it's you're, you're still balanced, you're still calm, but you've just got this, you know, this is where perhaps like you might experience deep intimacy with a partner or when you're meditating or when you're just so, so, so relaxed in nature, for example. Okay, so they're the, the balanced states. And then we've got the self-protective states. So the one that we typically head into first is what we call sympathetic. Um, we also call this fight or flight. And as I mentioned before, this is very mobilizing. It's very activating. It's very much this energy is kind of going up. It's quite, it's more heated. It's more fiery. Then we have, so that's a pure state. Then we have another pure state called dorsal vagal, and this is shut down. So this is when our body, our system, like this neuroception I talked about that's constantly scanning the environment for safety or danger. This is when this part of our, this, this ability to, to neurocept sense decides that there's actually nothing that they can do. So activating you and getting you prepared to fight or flight is pointless. So they shut you down. So that, and again, this is, this is you know, with the oldest part of our nervous system. The reason they shut you down is because it's essentially saying there's nothing I can do. There's no point in me activating you. So I'm going to shut you down and I'm going to disassociate you completely from your body so you don't get to experience what's about to happen. Right, so we, we all go through all these states at various different points. But as an example, like I notice, if I'm in conflict with someone, I'll become very activated. 
I'll be very, you know, whatever, argumentative, defensive, you know, really like aggressive posturing, like the whole thing, like that little kind of that duck, like, yeah, come on, on. And then there's a point, if the argument goes on for too long, I drop into this dorsal vagal state where for me, it's like, it's like my vision just switches off. I lose, I, I can't be bothered. I don't want to engage. I don't want to speak. And my energy just disappears out my body. And I'll say things like, I, I just don't care anymore. There's no, I, I just, just, I, I, whatever, whatever. Okay. Yeah. So that's dorsal vagal, that's shut down. Okay. And then the third self-protective state is what we call freeze. So often people confuse, they confuse freeze and shut down. They call them the same thing, but they're actually very, very different. Freeze is a blended state of our sympathetic, our fight or flight, and also this dorsal shutdown. So it's 50-50 of both. And what this is, is like rabbit in headlights. This is pro, this is the state of procrastination. Okay. So you can, you know, if you feel it in your body, that's not completely shut down. Right. There's a lot of activation that goes on in freaks, right? We're like, <gasps> but we're, but we're frozen, right? This is the kind of thing where it's like, oh my God, I've got so much to do, but I don't know what to do. Oh my gosh, I'm so tired, but I've got so much to do. I can't sleep, but I need to sleep. Da, 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 da. Right. That's that kind of energy. It's like, <laughs> which way do I move? Oh, we're completely pulled in two opposing directions such that we become immobilized. Okay. Yeah. So that's the different states. Do you have any, I feel like there's maybe a question coming before we, before I actually answer your question. No, I'm just, I'm finding this all so fascinating because I, I just, I don't know. I like to nerd a lot about, um, the nervous system. Like I'm just so into it. So just getting all of this extra information is so useful to me. And yeah, I'm just really happy that you're sharing this all. Right. That's awesome. Um, so going back to your actual original question is like, what can we do? So before we sort of do anything, we need to know where we are in our nervous system. And this is absolutely essential, right? Because the way out is different depending on what state you're in, right? So the, the way that I work with people typically, especially if I'm working one-on-one, is we, we basically create like a map of their nervous system. And, and everybody experiences things a little bit differently. Like I said, some of the, some of the, the physiological um, cues that I just gave you about how I personally experience fight or flight or shut down. Some of you might be like, oh my gosh, I totally feel that as well. And others of you might be like, I don't get that. I know what you're talking about, but that's not what happens in my body. So you you need to get really clear on the different states, particularly the three self-protective states, right? Because they're the ones we're trying to get out of. But you also want to know what it feels like to be in ventral vagal, to be in this calm, balanced state. And it's relative, of course, like some people that I work with are like, yeah, but I've not, I can't remember the last time that I was there, right? So it's, it's all relative, right? You know, you, you might experience like a little droplet of it and it's like, cool, well, we'll work with that. And then once you, once you determine, okay, this is what ventral vagal feels like in my body. Okay, this is what this fight or flight sympathetic uh, state feels like in my body, right? This is what the shutdown feels like in my body. It's what freeze feels like in my body. And it's not just necessarily in your body, it's the thoughts as well, because each state has a story. It has a narrative. You know, the fight or flight state is a bit more, uh, it's kind of a bit faster. It's like, oh my God, quick, we've got to do this yesterday. Oh my God, there's not enough time. Like, ah, ah, it's, this, it's this kind of intense, like, ah, now, 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 now kind of conversation. Whereas like, as I said, the, the, the freeze is more like, 
oh my god I've got so much to do but I don't know where to start like this really conflicting narrative where a shutdown is like there's just no point anymore like I I, I might as well just give up yeah. right so you can really feel the difference in those stories right and these are the stories that will bounce around our heads in one way shape or form when we're in these states so once we're clear on the different states we then start to create like our own like little uh like map and pathways out so what's interesting to note is that you can think of it you can i can explain it like a, a bit like a ladder okay so if you think of our ventral vagal our balanced state at the very top of the ladder so we're always wanting to get to the top of the ladder right and we're always we're always moving between the three right we never get to ventral vagal and then we're like oh, i'm done that's it for the rest of my life right we're constantly moving between them right which is totally fine but what happens to to the vast majority of people is they get stuck in a state and it's not necessary that they get stuck in the state because there's constant stress around them they get stuck in the state because they can't find a way out Right, because the pathway, right, you think that there's pathways between all these states. The pathway just becomes so untrodden that they don't they, they just don't know how to get out of it. Right. So through through this work working with the nervous system, we start to like retread those pathways through, right? So we've got our sympathetic state at the top of the ladder. Then beneath that sits fight or flight. So the the um, sorry, the ventral vehicle, the calm state is at the top. Fight or flight, the sympathetic state sits just beneath that. And then you could essentially say freeze is just below that, and then dorsal shutdown is, is at the bottom of the ladder. So whenever we're in dorsal shutdown, we've got to go through sympathetic, at least, to get up to our calm, balanced state, right? So, mm -hmm. for example, if we're in a complete state of shutdown, we want to add a little bit of activation into our body and that can be through the breath it can be through some very very you know not big movement but it can be through just some really short gentle but activating movements right if we're in sympathetic we still want uh, you know we actually might want to do quite a lot of movement like if there's a lot of like energy that's pent up in your body quite often we need to like get that frustration out so we can kind of find a balance between quite big dynamic movements, but then also finding time to drop into a relative amount of stillness as well, so that we don't end up just doing lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and, lots and continuing that cycle. So feeling would, would feeling all three of those together, is that even possible? And if feeling all of those three together is possible, is that like, would that just be like complete burnout, complete adrenal fatigue? Well, so, I mean, freeze is, is experiencing both right. shutdown and sympathetic together. Okay. So you could be, you know, if you, and it's possible that we do kind of experience this and even within a day, like say, say if you are in quite a state of stress and you, you know, you're like, oh my God, I, I just have so much going on and I feel like I can't get out of this cycle. Then it's very possible that you'll kind of be cycling between like you might have moments where you're like okay okay i think i've got some energy i think i've got some energy but it's frantic right so okay i'm gonna i'm just gonna i'm gonna do as much as i can right and then you might just put in like a six hour eight hour ten hour work day because you're like oh my gosh i've got some energy but then you crash down again 
into this total kind of shutdown dorsal. So we can absolutely kind of oscillate between them. But eventually, and this is what tends to happen to people, is that we'll, we'll first shift typically into this sympathetic, this activated fight or flight, and, and we'll stay in that for quite a period of time. And depending on everybody's own like history, physiology, etc. Once you stay in that for too long, as I said, you know, eventually the adrenals, amongst other things, are just like, do you know what, enough. And then that's when we start to head into things like burnout, adrenal fatigue, chronic fatigue, and then, you know, so many other autoimmune issues that come off the back of that. And what would be, I mean, in terms of if someone cannot determine which state they're in because they're just so caught in it. What is like a, a simple tip, I guess, or a tool that they can use to like just remove themselves from that situation or to just ease that tension in the moment? Mm. So some of the best practices, especially if you're just so overwhelmed and you, yeah, you haven't quite got the awareness to determine where you are, because it can be very, very hard to determine where you are when you're literally in the eye of the storm. So there's three main kind of practices that are really integral to nervous system work. One is what we call orienting, okay? And this is simply, so you can see me, I'm literally like looking, looking around in my space. So this is literally where wherever we are, we just start to observe our environment. And we do this really slowly. So it's not these kind of gross head movements and, and darty eyes, which are quite indicative of being heightened, right? Is we'll just really slowly glance around and, and we'll just allow our eyes to settle on whatever we see, right? So like I can see my light switches and we just, we literally just allow our attention to be pulled to different things. I can see my telephone, I can see my curtains and we just, we name things literally like that. You can name them out loud or in your head if it's not appropriate to name them out loud. And we just, we do that and you want to use different perspectives. So you don't want to just look at, for example, things, you know, I'm sat at my desk right now. I don't want to just look at things that are on my desk. I'm, I'm also going to look out my window and I'm going to look at the furthest things that I can see as well. I can see beautiful trees and plants. I can see my dog sat on the floor. And I, I just do this, and you can do this really for as long as you need to. It can just be a couple of minutes. It can be like 10 minutes. So that's one of the things. And what orienting does is it, A, it just helps us to slow down, right? Because we're not like, oh, my God. It helps to drop us into the present moment because we're looking at, like, what is in my environment right now? The eyes are such a big piece of our nervous system, wildly enough, right? And And... You know, I'm sure you probably all relate to this, right? We've all spent so much time on our screens over the last couple of years. And, you know, I talked earlier about tunnel vision. We are, when we're on our screens for hours and hours a day, we are actually like promoting ourselves into sympathetic because we're becoming so tunnel visioned, right? And that is quite a classic symptom of being in, in this fight or flight. So when we can kind of pull ourselves out of being so intensely focused, you know, on one thing, we actually start to, there's little signs and cues we can, we can feel in our nervous system. Like when we sigh, 
like when we take deeper breaths and have that sign, that's a sign that our nervous system is starting to regulate. When we feel more um, moisture in our mouth, more saliva in our mouth, that's another sign that our nervous system is regulating. When we yawn as well. So that's the first thing. And it, and it also helps us to, it helps our, neuro, our neuroception to really be clear that there's nothing in my environment right now, my immediate environment, that is actually posing a threat. Because basically when we're in that state of stress, like neuroceptively, we're picking up that, that there's something that's imminently going to do us damage, right? But by looking around, I'm like, oh, yeah, there's no axe-wielding maniacs. There's no tigers. I'm, I'm okay, right? So that's the first one is orienting. The second one, and you can do these individually, the, the, for want of a better expression, the goal is to actually do all these three things together. The next one is, is feeling, right? So you just want to, wherever you are, just see what you can feel. So like, for example, right now, I've got a little spiky mat under my feet, which I always have at my desk, right? And that helps me to ground because I'm always aware of these little like spiky bits sticking in my feet. So it always reminds me to be in my body because when we're working, when we're, you know, busy, 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 all our energy is really focused from the neck upwards and we lose this sense of our physical body. Okay. So we want to come back to like just feeling what's under your feet, feeling what's under your bum, feeling like I'm sat in a chair with a back, like I can feel my back supported. I can feel my arms resting on my armrests on my chair. And you just bring yourself to those sensations, right? You could feel the clothes on your body. Like I can feel this shirt that I'm wearing on my body, right? And we just bring ourselves that. And it has a very similar effect, right? We're grounding, we're being in the present moment, we're slowing down, we're being more introspective. Okay? So that's the second one. And then the third one is just breath observation. So just being aware of your breathing. So if you, some people find breath awareness can be a little triggering. So if by turning your attention to your breath and just observing it is too triggering because sometimes people can realize that they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize how much contraction I had in my breath and suddenly, oh my God, and all these stories kind of arise. So if just observing your breath is too challenging, then just start to create like a, a, like a kind of a metronomic count of your breath. So you could just start to like breathe in and out to the count of two or three or four and just observe your breath in that way, right? So typically, People will have a preference um, that will make them feel kind of more calm, whether it's just observing your natural breath or whether it's actually manipulating your breath and being more conscious in your breath. So therefore, like having this like even inhale, even exhale. So they're the three, they're, they're, they're three of the biggest practices. I mean, it's all very simple, but if you can do all three together, it's a bit like rubbing your tummy and patting your head in the beginning. But if you can build up to a practice where you're just perhaps sitting and you're looking around really slowly and you're just going, oh yeah, but there's, there's my book on meditation. There's my glasses. There's the door. And at the same time, I'm noticing the spiky mat under my feet. And I'm noticing the chair under my bum. And I'm still observing what's around me. I can see my dog on the floor. I can feel my back on the chair. And I'm also observing my breath. I'm noticing that I'm breathing at the same time. So if you can type all those three things in together, that will absolutely give you a reprieve. 
like wherever you are in whatever state yeah it's like so that's that's like quite a big practice to build up to all that yeah getting like getting in touch with your your senses and like being aware of your like your your just your general sensory perception i guess like in terms of like touch feel what like how are you breathing yeah um are there any daily non-negotiables that you personally do that keep you in touch with your nervous system and just that keep you more centered and grounded and present Yes, absolutely. Um, I, don't know if I, I don't know if I would call them non-negotiables. I have a lot of different practices. I do things every day. I don't necessarily do like the same things every day. It really depends, you know, hashtag single mother to a four-year-old. So <laughs> days yeah. don't always go how I plan. Um, but I, I walk on the beach every day. So I get out in nature. I, I walk pretty much barefoot everywhere. I very rarely wear shoes. Um, I go to the contrast baths, the ice baths and the hot baths pretty much every day, probably like six, six days a week at least. I move my body every day. So whether it's just movement at home, Pilates, like I went to a Pilates class this morning, but I'm always aware of spending a little bit of time doing more conscious movement aside from walking on the beach. I do a breath practice or meditate every day. Um, else and I'm just mindful as well because I do spend a lot of time at my computer like I am just very mindful again to kind of do those practices that I just explained to you so rather than just intensely working for like three hours in a you know straight I'll make sure that you know I do take time and even if it's just for a minute or two just to kind of sit back and and look out my window and take in nature and just allow myself to have a few breaths and to feel and then get back into it so a lot of the the key really to nervous system work is not so much big practices, like oh, I'm going to do this big two hour practice, you know, every day or every other day is actually just filtering in these tiny little things throughout the day, right? That's way, way, way more effective. So even if, you know, every 30 minutes, you're just stopping, you know, and again, just using the example of, of being at your desk or being on a computer, even if just every 30 minutes you stop just for a minute or two and you ground and you arrive and you orient and you check your breath and then you get going again. Like that, that compounded is, is a very powerful practice. Yeah, I was, I was going to say it would be nice if like people could like put reminders on their phone or something on their screen where it's just like take a moment to breathe, take a moment to look out the window, take a moment to just step outside for five minutes or something like really simple like that to yeah. just keep regrounding them throughout the day that would be really useful but you just mentioned something and I literally thought about this is there a specific point that triggers the nervous system because whenever I I don't know like there's a point like where the spine aligns with the neck and I always find that area very soothing. Like if I just like brush it, I feel very calm. If I pour cold water down that area, I feel very calm. It's just that one specific area. I don't know if there's a science to it or anything, but I'm just curious. So our vagus nerve is kind of, is in that area. Like it runs down the side of our neck. It also kind of comes up and like goes around our eyes and, and sort of like into our ears. So there's actually things in our ears like um, I don't know how to explain this. Obviously, you can see me, yeah. but the the little hole above our main like okay. uh, ear passage, yeah. like the little kind of nook in there, we, you can actually stick your fingers in there and give it a little massage, and that actually helps to um, 
it kind of stimulates what's called the vagus nerve, which is a really important part of like our nervous okay, system. That that really nice. <laughs> so anything to do with the ears, even just kind of massaging kind of behind the ears, but all around here is really deeply connected to the vagus nerve. So it could be that what you're doing is actually stimulating the vagus nerve. Okay, well, good to know. Cause I always just do that and I'm like, this feels so good. Don't know if there's science behind it, but it just might as well do it if it feels good. <laughs> Absolutely. And this is it, right? This is a lot of it as well, is that we all have our own, what we call resources, right? All of these things that we're talking about are what we call resources, right? And there's, there's kind of more classic resources, like I just explained, like orienting, breath awareness, you know, feeling, but there might be other things that you just do naturally that are your resources, right? And if it works, yeah. like keep doing Why it. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> know if you're like oh that thing doesn't really work for me but i do this and this works great sweet just keep doing it yeah um are there anything any like how do you i guess continue to show up for yourself during times of chaos or during times of burnout like how do you show up for yourself and continue those practices to make yourself stay grounded yeah yeah um i have become really good at prioritizing myself so you know for example like i will go and walk on the beach every morning i will go to what's called like the recovery center which is where the ice bath and, and the hot baths are for me and i will take time just to sit and chill out in the sun while i'm there you know for 20 minutes 30 minutes so these things are like they they are kind of real priorities for me because i've just especially as a solo mom with a young kid, like I, I see it so clearly in my parenting when, and that's probably where it shows up the most for me is like when I'm really tired, when I haven't prioritized myself, I'm way more reactive as a mother and I'm way less present. But when I am prioritizing myself and doing the things that I know supports me, I'm, I'm instantly way more present. So I've, yeah, I've just, I've learned to, slow down a lot i've learned that less is more i've learned that i'm way more productive when i don't work in the evenings when i don't work at weekends when i allow myself to like take the classes that i want to take and have a massage or two a week and do all those things so yeah it's taken me a long time to get to this point that's for sure but it definitely pays off I was going to say that, yeah, I think that one of the beauties about motherhood or just parenthood in general is now because you're not only responsible of yourself, of yourself, you're responsible for someone else, you do in that way need to be responsible for yourself and take better care of yourself so that you can have that full responsibility and love and support for the child. So that's, yeah, it's really beautiful. And it, it also teaches her. Yeah, because if, if she, you know, I grew up with parents, particularly my mother, who worked excessively hard. And unfortunately, now she's paying the price for it. She's she now has advanced dementia. She's very, very sick. She never got to retire. Um, and my daughter is now of the age where we're starting to have a conversation. She's starting to ask why? Why is Nana so sick? And I, I get to share with her, you know, it's it's sad and it's, you know, it's it's a big conversation, but I get to share with her because she didn't look after herself, because she didn't recognize the importance of rest, because she didn't recognize the importance of all these things. And my daughter now, every day, will 
she she takes time out to rest even if it's just you know leaning back for five minutes but she's like mama i need to rest right now i need to relax and she does that because i talk about it so much yeah that's just that's it's such a beautiful way in in the way life works that you just I guess like children take after take after you the the role that you show them and then also the lessons that you teach them and what they observe and what they see and their that curiosity is what yeah is what's going to make them more I guess more vibrant and alive humans that are able to take care of themselves so yeah it is such a beautiful thing um I mean how would you encourage the listeners to regulate their nervous systems and to just ease that chaos in their own attic? Mm. So first I would just, I would start by spending a bit of time in reflection and particularly reflecting on like the, the three self-protective states of the nervous system so this more activated fight or flight the freeze which is the kind of rabbit in headlights like half fight or flight half dorsal shutdown and then shut down and i just spend some time just feeling in like what does that feel like in my body like how do i know that i'm i'm in that state like what is it that's in my body that tells me that that's where i am right now and then get really clear on that and it can change and shift over time but just get really clear on what that feels like and it's because it's all it starts with awareness right again as, as i talked about before yes absolutely there's practices but if you don't know where you are you can't get yourself out of it right so start by getting really clear on how that feels in your body and start to really pay attention during the days like when you feel yourself getting a bit triggered you've received some like crappy email from somebody, um, you notice yourself um, just shutting down in conversation with your partner and, and just be present to the sensations in your body. So that's so, so, so important to be able to then create a pathway or a practice or a set of practices to get out. Yeah, I, I like that. Um... And maybe set those reminders on your phone. <laughs> like, I need to go do that for myself. <laughs> Just thinking of it. Um, is there any, I guess, well, we're not done yet. We, I mean, if you have time for a rapid fire, but before a rapid fire, are there any last messages or downloads that you want to share that you feel maybe something that you're feeling called to in your life or something that you feel like, um, I don't know, sharing with the listeners so the other big thing that i'm deeply passionate which ties in very strongly with the nervous system is communication um communication has always been something i've been very interested in and in more recent years um has been something that i've really focused on in all of my relationships and as i started diving into that i've, I've seen this very 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 direct correlation with how we're able to show up in relationship. And that can be relationship with an intimate partner or with our friends or with a business partner, whoever, family, and our nervous system. And there's so many different parts of communication that when we are, say, dysregulated, become really, really challenging. So one of the things that blows me away every time I think about it is that 
when we start to move into a state of dysregulation, the muscles in our ears change, which mean that when we're, so when we're regulated, the way that the muscles in our, in our ears are at that moment, we are more able to tune in to the frequency of human voice. When we start to move out of regulation into dysregulation, the muscles in our ears change and we tune out of the frequency of human voice and into the frequency of louder, deeper sounds or high-pitched screaming, which basically put into the context of relationship, we lose our ability to hear other people when we're dysregulated. So if you've ever found yourself in situations where you've either said to somebody, you're not listening to me, or somebody said to me, said to you, like, why can't you just listen? Because it's physiologically almost impossible when you're in a state of dysregulation, right? So this is where, you know, arguments and conflicts really spiral when we're in that state of dysregulation. So if you find yourself in in that situation with somebody, whether it's your partner or a family member, colleague, whatever, and you just, you're con this thing's constantly fracturing, right? This relationship, it just keeps, it keeps blowing up or it keeps, thing, things keep happening. Look at your nervous system first, right? Look at the state that you're both in, if that's possible, and, and take time out from any disagreement when you're in an activated state, because it, it's just never going to end well. I th yeah, that's so important. I think communication ties everything into like in any situation whether it's like a relationship an intimate relationship or just like work relationships and having that proper like that that openness to listen and to I mean that was really fascinating the whole the ear and just literally not being able to hear a person or like understand that the language that's being spoken not the necessarily the language but the voice and the yeah it is it's really important and I think that it is a good thing for people to keep in mind, I guess, in general, like when you are having a conversation or communicating with someone and something seems off in some certain ways to just, yeah, to take that time to regulate your system and then come back to it once you're feeling more grounded. But yeah, yeah. thank you so much for sharing that because I do think that it's important, especially nowadays, now that we're coming out of the pandemic in some sort and out of quarantine that people are getting more into that sphere of back into conversations. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and now do you have time for a rapid fire? Sure do. Okay. Do you by any chance know your sun, moon and rising sign? Uh, Virgo, sun, Taurus rising, Pisces moon. Oh, I love that. Um, what is... <laughs> interestingly enough i found this out the other day but mothers and daughters which you may well know if you're quite interested in astrology often mirror each other in their signs so my daughter is pisces sun pisces moon and taurus rising oh wow they're, they're so it's, it can be so similar yeah i've seen people like that i person personally i'm not my little sister is like that with my mom um, but yeah, I have, I have a couple of friends who are very similar to their mom, which is, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, do you have a favorite book or a book recommendation? Oh my gosh, so many. Um, <laughs> I had just finished reading, oh my goodness, what's the name of it? The Wakeful Body. Okay. Amazing book. 
the wakeful body okay yeah i'm gonna add it to my reading list i'm just like building on my reading list every single day <laughs> mine's huge mine's huge <laughs> so you have a random tip or a random piece of advice it can literally be anything like how to cut your hair any any random piece of tip oh my gosh um let me go with parenting i think one of the most effective things that i've done with my daughter is really like talking her through her emotions so every day we talk about her emotions and for example if she's upset um, or if she's sad, like, you know, I'll ask her, like, how are you feeling? And I'll really encourage her to vocalize how she's feeling. Um, so, you know, if she's fallen over, I'm like, how are you feeling right now? Are you feeling angry? Are you feeling sad? Are you feeling like this? And so now at four years old, she's probably got more emotional awareness and vocabulary than your average 30 year old. Yeah that's for sure I think it's so important to teach children their emotions I can say for sure that I had probably zero emotional vocabulary I just knew how I felt but to actually communicate it was very difficult for me so I'm very happy to see that nowadays parents and like are taking more awareness of that with their kids yeah yeah it's a big one for me yeah um mountain or sea Mountain, simply because I live at the ocean. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> a quote to live by. Um, I think the one that I mentioned earlier, that's the one that stands out for me, which is we never really experience the world. All we experience is our nervous system. Um, a, do you have a spirit animal? No. 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 Okay. A favorite food. Favorite food. Food. just a nice piece of grilled fish and some grilled vegetables yeah i like that <laughs> that's literally what i had to, for dinner this night <laughs> um what would you one thing you would add to the world and one thing you would take away i would add emotional intelligence and communication and nervous system training in schools as a compulsory, because I genuinely believe that people could regulate their nervous systems, understand other people's emotions and their own and communicate with finesse that all conflict would pretty much stop. And I would take away fast food. I feel like, I like the guests that I have, I've always said, take away fast food or processed food. I'm like, yes, I think we all want that by now. Um, Okay, so where can everyone find you, connect with you, work with you, and just learn more about all that you have to offer? Yeah, so I have, my Instagram is probably where I'm most uh, sort of frequently on. So that's Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L, underscore Fernley. Um, I do have a website, rachelfenley.com. Um, I have just recently started on TikTok. It's very new. I'm still getting used to it, um, but I'm actually quite enjoying it. So, oh my gosh, I think I'm Rachel, um, Rachel Fernley one or Rachel underscore Fernley one, something like that. Well, definitely um, think it. And yeah, so I do, I work with people one-on-one. I, I do monthly 
nervous system classes, which are basically like drop-in classes online where we do um, just a whole bunch of different practices, a bit like what I kind of explained with you earlier around like orienting and grounding and different sort of resourcing. So I do those monthly um, and they're super sort of cost effective and you can just sign up and get the class and you can practice it as many times you want after. Um, I do work with people one-on-one -on -one over a three-month um, time. And I also have a business with my business partner called The Whole Health Project where it's more of a teacher training company. So we teach people how to become breath coaches, how to become meditation teachers, how to become yin yoga teachers. Well, that's all exciting. And of course, I'm going to link all this down in the show notes so anyone can connect with you. And just really, truly, thank you so much. It was so lovely and so great speaking with you. And I'm just excited for you continuing to live in Bali because <laughs> that's where I would love to be. <laughs> but well, the air, the, the airs have opened. Yes, the that's true. Waters have opened. That is true. Well, thank you so much. Well, I hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you want to connect with Rachel, all of her information is linked in the show notes. And if you want to connect with me, all my information is linked in the show notes. And highly, highly, highly suggest you go give Rachel a follow on Instagram because she just has so much important information on all things nervous system, communication. And she just shares her life in Bali and her beautiful life with her daughter. And it's just so useful and she just makes it fun and I just love looking at her page so highly suggest that and without further ado thank you to your precious ears for listening and goodbye